1: information, connect with a wealth advisor today at corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T dot com. Corient.com.
2: Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Tigris. As you know, the longer I'm in the DCP studios, the more comfortable I get. And I feel like I just progressively, I just progressively like sink deeper into the chair and, you know, feet up, very cozy. Anyways, we are back for another episode with Jeannie, who you heard from last week as well. She is an incredible model, activist, organizer, um, Korean-American badass. Badass Asian. Badass Asian. Bad
3: Asian. Badass Asian.
2: Yeah, we decided, or I decided without asking you, that the episode was going to be called bad asian question mark badass Badass asian
3: Asian. period
2: which i felt very clever for um
3: so title of our live story coming out soon
2: (laughs) as two badass asians we're here to talk to you again about this nervousness of like opening up about trauma family trauma mental health as influencers with platforms um Most one because it's scary like for anybody of any identity opening up about vulnerability especially when it's still a current vulnerability is scary but also because I think it is very related to an Asian fear of this like dishonoring yourself your family your community and that dishonorableness being something that will ruin your reputation yeah which I definitely feel like I Grew up with that, especially around appearances with my Japanese grandmother, my obachan. Who, by the way, was called obachan because she thought obasan, which is really what it is, grandma in Japanese, was too old. Like, she was very into this idea of, like, wanting to be the young, young yeah. put-together makeup, stilettos, you know, woman. So, I feel like there was this kind of obsession with appearances. And, and then, of course, my Chinese grandparents disowned me because I am so open yeah. about trauma on social media and periods and whatever so I mean when you and I talked last week you and I were kind of talking about like how do we talk more about mental health uh, talk more about substances uh, substance abuse how do we talk more I think about a lot about like how do I talk more about sex yeah because that's such a huge part of my trauma and like also what I'm enjoying at the moment with in a way because I still there is still so much that I do keep private And But things that I want to talk about publicly, but the nervousness around talking about it.
3: Yeah. What comes up for you there? I think about, like, how I can, I feel like I'm currently on this newfound journey of trying, because I actually always considered myself, I thought I was a really, like, vulnerable, open person, but... I think there's a difference from opening up about my trauma and then opening up about it in a way that I'm actively working to dismantle the stigma Mm. that surrounds it. And so for me, like I just, with everything you just said, like my, the first thing I thought about, you know, sex, mental illness, drugs, Mm -hmm. these are all such stigmatized realms and topics within the Asian community like, I literally, I'm 23 years old. I still am waiting for the sex talk, for the birds and bees talk. For I'm still <laughs> waiting for it, you know? And I don't think it's ever coming. Yeah. Um, And with mental illness as well, you know, I, I guess I always thought, like, I couldn't share about my journeys, mm-hmm. my journey and my experiences and my struggles until I felt like, was out of them and then I we were talking about this today like how am I really ever going to get out of it if I don't learn to do away and dismantle the stigma surrounding it? because I also think the way for me I think about the dialogue that I hold with myself around like the trauma of going through drug addiction, of yeah. going through the treatment system in this country, of going through the troubled teen industry from a really young age for so many years throughout my adolescence. And I think about, in that relation, the way I talk to myself when I'm thinking about those things. And I really realized like how self-deprecating the dialogue I was and the relationship I was holding with myself, and shame, it was so, Mm. these experiences for me are so steeped in shame. And it's not my own shame, it's like what you say, it's cultural, socially conditioned and taught shame. Like this idea of Asian shame, that we are dishonoring our families, our reputations. It was, for me, like the most important thing in my family, was always saving face, no matter how crazy the shit that was going down in our house was. You always showed up to church. You had a smile on your face. Um, and I think that's trauma in and of itself. Yeah. The repression, the silencing. Um, but yeah, I feel like, I don't know, like I wanna like almost re- bounce this question back to you because I've also been interested in like what's the line between being open because i also think i've realized in 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 doing this trauma work and like healing the last year i've really realized that like i've always had i knew i always had an, like a tendency to overshare yeah. and i understood for the first time where it came from and how it was actually one of the survival mechanisms i learned um to because i i never felt like i could share and speak about and be open about it so then it was this very like all or nothing like mindset once one end of the spectrum to another so it's like I'm trying to like almost like find the middle of that and I feel like you like I really look up to you in that way because I feel like you have created a space and a platform where you're able to be so open and you're doing it in a way that also feels safe to you well, one, I appreciate that, but also
2: I think like my whole platform is based off of what other people would consider oversharing. You know, yeah. like I have <laughs> Tigress, a podcast where I'm literally talking about my trauma and my constipation, and like period. my whole should. TikTok is built off of like showing my period blood. So, I think that for me, though, I I was when we were texting earlier today about like this idea of like saving face and like the nervousness around it. I was thinking about it a lot because. Um, me being super open about my trauma in has been one, sometimes detrimental to myself. Um, and it's been hard on my family too, right? Like I have gone through some like cancel culture before. And a lot of what I shared, the vulnerabilities were like eventually weaponized against me. And also I think one of the things that I have hurt my family with in some ways is like, I came out as a survivor of child sex abuse um, before my sisters had platforms and before they wanted to.
3: Yeah, And
2: I think that's something that I like definitely would have done much differently is like, I don't think, I think that in many ways, like I have, I'm an external processor and I'm honestly much better in front of crowds of lots of people than like one-on-one. I get more nervous one-on-one. And because of that, I've always felt really open sharing. And I, kind of just said fuck you to this idea of oversharing because I was like oversharing is all relative if someone's really conservative with what they want to be open with then like of course they're going to think I'm oversharing but if I'm sharing because I want to be sharing am I sharing for the right reasons am I sharing because I want to make money then that's probably not the best idea if I'm sharing because I genuinely am trying to find community and it's like healing for me then that is a good idea like for me I have always been really open about being a survivor um, mostly because I've been so lonely in that journey, and by being open about being a survivor, I found such a strong community of other survivors. That's been so integral to my healing. Being open about being ashamed of being Asian growing up, now I have a community online and in person of people who feel the same way. Yeah, you know. So some of it is like
3: more selfishly driven, but there. I things- don't think it's selfish though, and I think that's really the way it needs to be. Yeah. Is like, what do we? 'cause at the end of the day we're speaking from our own experiences. Yeah. That's why both me and you have ended up like in this activism yeah. you could call it space, but I think for me it's like I'm constantly battling this question of like what do I need to say yeah to feel more free standing in my truth? Not like what yeah. do I need to say to make other people understand me better? Yeah. you know get my message better feel more comfortable in my presence because the minute I start worrying about that stuff it, it never yeah. ends well
2: I feel like I what I always tell people is like you do not owe anybody your story right like yeah you don't the goal is not to be someone who gets on a podcast yeah. and has a whole podcast about their trauma like that is yeah. not everybody's goal but I feel like for you like you're an organizer about generational trauma racial trauma like injustice yeah and you do have a platform and you clearly have you know this desire to share stories too right and you are a storyteller so like I can I completely empathize with like the desire to share more and the desire to tell stories I'm curious like what what do you think are like the main things holding you back is it like you feel unqualified to talk about these things or is it also a nervousness of taking up space and not being ready for it like what is what is it that kind of holds you back now
3: like both for sure all of it I I mean I think it's definitely it's really it's so much easier for me to stand up for other people than it is for me to stand up for myself so it's this constant you know voice in the back of my head telling me to like stop talking and be quiet and shut up because Will does it's, and it's this constant inner dialogue of like gaslighting myself. Like, does my story even matter? You know, do, and I mean, really for me, I think it boils back down to how much I had to separate myself from my trauma in order to continue being accepted by my family. Yeah. You know, I went to rehab when. I have a very muddled history with drug addiction. Mm. I have been clean for six years now from opioids, I, which was my drug of choice. I spent three years in and out of treatment programs during my adolescence, throughout which my family pretty much disowned me and wanted nothing to do with me. I grew up in a very traditionally Asian household where you were told, if you do drugs, you you will go to hell. You are possessed by the devil, and the that steep that sh- that shame that mm. was steeped in me. You know, it wasn't my shame; it was never my burden to carry. But it was so deeply steeped in me from a really young age that, yeah, I just. I felt really fucking alone mm-hmm. and I felt like this and it was I think that shame for me that did more damage as I'm like really starting to go into this trauma is it's the shame that I held around it that yeah. and the stigma and the silence that made me feel so much more alone than the actual struggle. Um, and I think that that is, you know, I. It's actually like a scientifically proven thing that. I was even reading this article about um abortions and about what this kind of means for mental health and women mm-hmm. getting abortions right now with the overturn of Roe v Wade, and specifically retain pertaining to Asian women, you know, thirty I think it was around thirty percent of Asian women who get pregnant have abortions. On average and yet we go through it completely alone mm-hmm. you know it's it's such abortion is very stigmatized thing in Asian communities and it's actually the stigma of having an abortion is more detrimental to her or their well-being than the actual abortion to their emotional well-being at the end of the day and I think it's the same thing with the way we carry our traumas So. I'm just trying to learn how to be more kind and open with myself and, um, kind with myself on my mental health journey. You know, it's one that I feel like I've struggled so and felt so isolated in because also like mental health is not really a thing. Like, it's just not a word in my parents' vocabulary.
2: Also asks, how would you love a chance to save money on your insurance? and see all the ways you could save with great rates and discounts. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com to get a rate quote or contact your local agent and get started seeing how much you could save. This show is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition. I think most of us agree that in a functioning democracy, the winner should be determined by the voters. Well, that almost didn't happen in 2020. Now, extremists are working to intimidate and replace nonpartisan election workers with quote-unquote yes-men who might reject election results. The only thing that will stop them is us. We've partnered with the grassroots pro-democracy organization, Represent Us, to give you the tools you need to protect free and fair elections. Learn more and get involved. Visit represent.us
3: slash pod to learn more.
2: Has it become part of their vocabulary?
3: Yeah, but no. Like, I feel like we've done enough therapy sessions where yeah. they've been told, you know, that these depression is real, that these are the ways that you should care for and and adjust your behavior with someone who has depression. Um, but it feels more mechanical than it does genuine Mm. and that is something that i've struggled to accept for a really long time that my family like my parents don't understand something that like probably the most integral part of me is my mental illness Yeah. yeah is my it has been the most like defining Thing for me since I was 13 years old when I, you know, first started cutting myself mm-hmm. and I ended up in the psych ward and I'll never forget when my parents picked me up from the psych ward, they just dropped me off at school yeah. the next Monday. And that was the next right up. Like it was just another Monday. So these are really experiences that I have had to process completely by myself and also experiences that my family saw me as less than for, as weaker for, um, a bad Asian per se. Yeah. To admit that I'm weak. I think emotions have always felt like a sign of weakness in my household. Um, I think more so now like I am really open with my my parents and we are coming out of like 10 years of being on this journey also together
1: yeah
3: um and not just investigating my mental health but also my parents is something I've really really tried to do because I think we can only understand other people's struggles to the capacity we understand our own yeah no
2: I totally hear you on that and I I think that Honestly, cutting was the hardest thing to explain to my grandparents Yeah, because they had read about it on social media. That's that's one thing, which is I think I've kind of come at it from the opposite journey, which is like in in the sense that like you experience it with your family. You haven't shared it on social. I shared a lot of things on social before I ever told friends or family. Like my mom, I think the first time I said like I was in an abusive relationship was honestly like in my TEDx talk period and my mom was in the audience right (laughs) there have been things like like the first time I talked about like um the first time I talked about you know more of like my severe depression was like kind of figuring it out on speaking tour right where I was processing a lot of it and there's a lot of
3: danger to that right like talking about things before you're ready I mean that's what I feel like this is yeah in the sense that like I mean, I don't really. I feel like if I didn't, if I waited to come to this room until I was ready, I would have never been here. Yeah, I don't really think that because honestly, I've been trying. I've been waiting for like over a year, being like, I'm on my healing journey and I'm waiting to get to the end point yeah. to like, yeah, start speaking out against these these things, not for other people, but because I was like, I if I hold this in shame and silence for one more day, I'm literally going to, it's going to eat me alive.
2: Well, and I'll say, I think that that's one of the things that I hate about like the mental health advocacy space. And sometimes it's like so much of the platforms and even the figures present it as I was sad and now I'm all better. And like, here's what I did to make sure I'm not sad. And I'm like, if you have depression, you're always going to be depressed. If you have these different, like, I have BPD, like, I will always have some sort of BPD tendencies, traits. And I think that it is such a, like, these urges to hurt yourself, or even, like, you know, urges to go back to addicting habits yeah. or substances never really go away. Yeah. They're manageable. Do you feel like part of maybe why you don't want to share it deeply is, is there some sort of like protecting your parents? Because obviously, they probably yeah. care a lot about their public image or reputation, yeah. even if they're not
3: sol- on social yeah. media. No, a thousand percent. Yeah. Um, even like right now, I'm working on a project where I feel like I can't really say the story because I'm going to say too many things that are going to embarrass my mom, mm-hmm. and that is something that I have been trying to work through on my own more because. I can't silence my own struggles to make her comfortable Mm -hmm. and her shame. Is not my shame? And it shouldn't be my shame. Yeah. And so I think it is, it really is what, what like we have to, what we feel like we have to get off of our chest. I mean, even right now, like I feel like the whole time we've been having this conversation in my head, I've been choosing the things I'm saying. So like you're filtering it and I'm filtering everything I'm saying. Like, yeah. I'm going to be totally transparent. Yeah, about that. no, absolutely. But I think that's just, I find myself also doing that, honestly, like in therapy, yeah. like one-on-one, like, and it took me years of being in those rooms to, I think, get to a point where I can truly be unfiltered and authentically shed light on what's going on inside of me. Yeah. And yeah.
2: Well, and I think that a part of it, similarly to how you don't need to wait to be totally healed before you share your story. It's like the goal isn't to be completely unfiltered to the point that you get hurt, right? Like there are some things where even having the right language is important. So you also don't hurt other people. Like I recognize for me to like, I actually... I regret doing a lot of speaking gigs where I was held up as like, this is what a girl boss looks like who could manage school and work. Yeah. Like meanwhile, I was not sleeping and yeah. not eating and like not healthy. Right. Yeah. Like I think that there's harm done when you t- do take the mic and you're not, maybe you don't have the wisdom there. Yeah. And like, maybe I'll look back on this podcast and be like, whoa, girl, what were you doing? And it is true that like things change, right? Like even I've, I'm almost at the 50th episode of Tigress and like, there are definitely opinions of mine that have shifted. And I think that's okay. Yeah. And I think it's also like figuring out like what kind of filter you have, right? Like there are so many things that I want to be really open about. Like, I've been really open about my interest in polyamory, yeah. like really interested. Like t- I've talked openly. And of course, like my boyfriend hates that because we're in a monogamous relationship. Yeah. But like, it's been something I've been super curious about. And I've personally made the decision that I need to explore this publicly yeah. because that's how I've connected with so many other people who have same the same questions but there are things that like out of respect for him and myself, like I don't talk in detail about our sex life. Right. And I think that it's just figuring out like what filters you want to have. And even with my mom, like, you know, there are a lot of things my mom would prefer. I don't talk about that. I've had to be like, no mom, like, this is a part of me. It's a part of me. And just as much as it is your story, like it is my story. And there is, I think a part of that, like becoming independent and fit, like establishing your own
3: boundaries, too, yeah, you know? And speaking your truth and not what you think like your parents wanna yeah. hear. Um, yeah, and just getting independence from our parents, I think is such a multidimensional journey yeah. because it's not only like, oh yeah, we're 18, we moved out of the house, I'm financially yeah. independent. It's becoming, for me, it's like emotionally becoming independent has been so hard for them because I didn't realize. I guess the the deepness of like the conditioning. Yeah,
2: most Asian immigrant mothers, especially most do. Asian
3: immigrant women, have severe mental health struggles. Severe generational severe trauma. generational trauma that no one talks about. They're like everyone thinks they're the most pleasant. Women, they stay so quiet. They're all, like, literally seen as the most pleasant, yeah. you know, quiet women. The shit, the rocks, the weight of that, that these women are carrying, it's so deep. And it, for me, like, when I think about, like, I think to be here, to be able to have a perspective, where I've been endowed with learning about what's happening in my brain and tr- able to make sense of it, sitting in therapy, like yeah, as f- as also fucked up as I feel like these spaces were, they also like it was a privilege for it is a privilege for me to be able to grow up in a in a in a in a society where mental health is talked about, yeah. And it is actively we're trying to destigmatize it, and but I think we need to go a step deeper because kind of the intersections of Asian American identity and mental illness are are so deep, yeah, and are so silenced. I think about like suicide. I think about my struggles with suicide. I think about how shameful I felt. Yeah for those moments and i think about the ways that people who commit suicide are literally dishonored Mm -hmm.
2: and the family their death
3: yeah i think that there's a lot of shame in the family which just goes back to like it's a religious thing Mm -hmm. but i mean i think about how south korea it uh, in a like on the on a global level has one of the highest suicide rates out of any country in the mm. fucking world. We're one of the tiniest countries in the world. Yet we have one of the highest suicide rate. No one talks about that. Like you see these K-pop stars, everything. Like K-pop is so hot right now. Like K-pop, Like if you actually follow Korean media, the amount of K-pop stars that have committed suicide in just yeah. the last decade is staggering. Yeah. You know, and these aren't things that we openly include in the American the American knowledge of of what it means to be Asian. Yeah. I think also like what it means to be Asian to America is to like part of shutting up and listening and being the model minority is never validating your own yeah. shit. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think it's definitely a lot of like tracing my steps back. Yeah, because I like think journaling. Ab- yeah, and I think about kind of like the imagination I had when I was young, kind of before I all of this should happen <laughs> before all the trauma decides to come in. Um, and I and I that is what I chase after in my healing journey, but. Yeah. I mean, healing's not linear. And like, I, I fucking like hate the way healing is depicted on, on social media for this reason, because yeah. it's not as pretty as like the Instagram quotes, make it look. Yeah. Like it is not pastel hearts and stars guys. It's and not gradient
2: background taking. And for some people it might be, for me, it's not taking baths and looking at yeah. sunsets.
3: <laughs> it's just, it's so unlinear. And I, I also, I think that it's this like, it is that pressure of like, in, I think that's such a social media, like social media is just, it's a kind of incubator of perfection. Yeah. And so we're only allowed to bring our, our best selves to the table, like our most manipulated, perfected selves. And it's just, I've completely actually disengaged from my social media for the last like, few months and really tried to reevaluate and reestablish my relationship with it. Yeah. Because I didn't want to admit how much power it was taking over me and how detrimental it was affecting how how detrimentally it was affecting my mental health in terms of the expectations I would hold around like my healing.
2: Yeah, and I mean that's a whole other side of this when you start thinking about what are you going to share publicly because when you share it publicly, anybody can have an opinion. Yeah, and I mean the amount of hate I'm sure you've gotten. Oh, yeah. I mean it's every day, and unfortunately, the more viral, quote unquote, successful, some a con- yeah, piece the of content does.
3: Yeah, your, you face backlash.
2: And these algorithms feed off of controversy, right? Yeah. The more controversial something is, the more people will engage, the more people will be following. So I think that I mean. I could not share publicly in the way that I am now and be stable if I didn't have like my weekly therapy, which again, is like such a privilege to be able to even have therapy. And I think it's, it's, yeah, it's not a light decision to make, but at the same time, it sounds like, I mean, you potentially have a podcast coming out and you're, you are sharing so much with multimedia and, uh, you know, press and social. So, It's an incredibly powerful tool.
3: Yeah. No, and I, I mean, I, I've just been, I've been writing a lot of the things that I hope to talk about on my podcast coming up soon. Yes. It's called Confessionals of That Asian Girl. Um, <laughs> and really it's a space where I hope that me and other Asian femmes and women can really confess all the things that we've been, so ashamed to speak out about and include from ranging from things like you know sex drugs mental health like all the things we've touched on today because the more I talk about it the more I'm like this is a never-ending conversation and it really is also a tool to aid in my own healing the more I share like you know I was nervous to do this to talk about these things but the more I'm open about the parts of me that I hold in such shame the less they hold power over me Mm -hmm. yeah and so for me it's not about like you know when you come on this podcast and you're sharing your experiences that's for you yeah that's for your healing and it's also in hopes that someone else who feels alone in a journey that's similar to yours can hear that and can not feel so alone anymore. And I wish I had, you know, podcasts like yours, like when I was growing up to kind of warn me of the dynamics that the world sets forth for Asian women.
2: I mean, also like a symptom of shame is silence. And so like if the opposite of shame or the opposite of silence is speaking, then the opposite of that could be the opposite of shame. So,
3: I mean, it makes absolute sense. I mean, that's how I kind of, (laughs) I feel like that's just how I like organically ended up here. Yeah. Was like, I literally like was so full of rage. I found myself needing to scream on the front lines. Okay, so when I was in high school, I ran an Asian
2: affinity group called Asian Pride Club.
3: Love. And I, I wish I had an Asian Pride I, Club at my high school.
2: It's actually really funny because the school tried to block it and their reaction was, you can't have an Asian Pride Club because we couldn't have a white pride club. So it's discriminatory. Yeah. They actually said that. And like a lot of teachers, like middle school teachers included, <gasps> like rallied so that we could have an AP club. I was really excited about Asian Pride Club I because mean-
3: No. Yeah. Oh
2: my god. Because AP Club was like, I thought it was like a funny funny. play. So while you were talking and you were talking about your podcast name, I was thinking, "Confessions of that Asian girl is Tag," and in the school system, Tag is talented and gifted. Oh my god. So when people say like, "Are you going to Tag? Are you doing Tag?" which is the talented (laughs) and gifted track, and. It's a joke because it's like all the Asian kids Stop, are in tag. That's so good. <laughs> so I was just thinking about that while you're taking it. I was like, oh, the acronym no, of like AP oh Club God, and that's TAG.
3: Divine. That's meant to be. I'm just-
2: I love tag. I wonder if you can find like the their like logo or something. Cause like yeah, there's so- that. I did all those fucking workbooks and extra tests yeah. that were like the tag. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I mean, I, my mom was like, why are you not tag? Tag, tag, tag. I was Wait, like, I also was
2: not tag in fourth grade. And I then, think I made
3: it for like one, like one year. Yeah. And then I got
2: kicked out. I got, I did not, I could, I was always such a horrible test taker. And then. My mom, even though she says she's not a tiger mom, does have some of that in her. She went to the school and convinced them that I'm just a bad test taker. And I'm actually very much a talented and gifted student. And so I needed to be in tag. (laughs) So I got in because my mom every
3: single year went in to convince them. I love that. (laughs) So yeah. Anyways. I wish I always wished my mom like did more of that.
1: (laughs)
2: oh <laughs> you're like no I'm like they're pros to it but then there was also like anytime you ever said mom this teacher isn't a very good teacher we that would, teacher yeah. would hear from about it from yeah. my mom was, yeah. You know? so yeah anyways I'm very excited for your tag for the yes. Asian girl tag the podcast tag. we
3: love all the tag girls
2: the tag girls nice. um thank you so much for joining us on Tigress you know we're back every single week and um, Jeannie will definitely be back because- Yes, we have so much more to talk about. So much more to talk about. We've already been sitting here for like a couple hours and I already have so many other ideas. Yeah, I'm like, I what feel what like we about. haven't
3: even scratched the surf.
2: Yes, in the future. So we'll be back soon. And we'll link um, Jeannie, uh, all her socials in the description. Bye y'all. Bye.